Well, we are in a series called Upon This Rock. And what we're doing in this series is every week we've been looking at different rock stories in Scripture to build our faith and to really put us in a place where God can work the way he wants in our life. And I'm a little sad because we're, we're drawing to the end of this series and I'm quickly realizing that I've got way more rocks than I have weeks. So I'm going to have to release some, some bonus messages or something because I've got a, a lot more that I, I want to say. But I'm excited about today because I want to bring together some of the things that we've been talking about for the past several weeks in a very practical and very personal way by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to jump right in and, and read it. I'll break out some of the context as we go along. But 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is written by the, the Peter one of Jesus' disciples, the, the Peter that denied him, the Peter that made some mistakes, the Peter that preached the first sermon in the book of Acts, written by that Peter. Peter says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Basically, he's saying, delete your TikTok. That's, that's how I read that. And that's what we talked about the first week. Do you remember? We said that before we can elevate, we first have to excavate. Before we can build, we got to dig. Before we can receive, we got to make room. Be before we can do the things that, before God can do the things he wants to do in our life, we have to create some room in our heart. And whenever our hearts get overcrowded, there's no room for faith. Then we wonder why we're feeling anxious and depressed and discouraged. It's because we've allowed striving and comments and hypocrisy to fill our feed and access our heart. And I'm really not talking about social media today, but I'm just drawn to this very first verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. Because God's got to do some work here. He's got to do some work here. That's... Maybe the, the pre-message before I get into the heart of my message is, is that we've got to get rid to first get ready. Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of attitudes that have taken residence in my heart. Attitudes that don't serve God's purpose. We've got to get rid of bitterness that's poisoning my perspective. Got to get rid of hypocrisy where I'm pointing out the faults of others to make myself feel more secure. We gotta get rid of slander, where I'm repeating things that aren't true, that I don't even know, I've just heard, running people down. Gotta get rid of that stuff so I can get ready, clear out some space so God can fill it with something better. And in verse two, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this reminds me of communion. This is what we do. We, we reflect, we repent, we remember. We remember our salvation. We remember what God has done. We recognize what that means to us. We remember the promises of God, how they're for us. We remember where we would be if it wasn't for Jesus. And we recognize where we are now. We are grateful. We respond to the fact that God's not holding our failures against us. We respond to the fact that our, our sin doesn't destine us for a curse. 
And he says, as you come to him, who's he talking about? Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which was also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may. And I want to emphasize that. Say that you may. That you may. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's coercing you into this. You don't have to. Nobody's making you. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Aren't you grateful for the word of God? Put your hands together if you're grateful for God's word. I like that last part. You were not a people, but now you are. Did not have mercy, but now you do. But the part of the passage I'm really drawn to, I want to spend most of my time, is in verse 5. And I want to read it from a different translation. I'm reading it from the ERV translation. It's the easy to read. I don't know about you, sometimes I like things easy. So I use the easy to read version. He says this. You also are like living stones. And God is using you to build a spiritual house. You're to serve God in this house. And offer him spiritual sacrifices that he will accept. Because of Jesus Christ. I want to use as my topic today. I feel used. I feel used. Just so I know you're with me, will you turn to somebody and just tell them, I feel used. I feel used. Have you, ever, have you ever said that before? Have you ever thought that before? We, uh, usually when we say something like that, it doesn't have a positive connotation. Generally, it's because our good nature uh, has extended us beyond the point of our comfort. Generally, it's because what was initially an offering of goodwill has now turned into an offense. And I have to confess, I felt taken advantage of recently. Not by a person, but by the algorithm. That's why my, I'm hard on social media right now. But I, I started with pure motives. I really did. I'm just trying to put that disclaimer out there. I had good intentions, but I ended up in a place I never planned to be. And uh, I'm a little ashamed to share this with you, so don't judge me, please. But I, I watched something I'm embarrassed about. I, uh, I, I was watching these people 
repair boots and restore shoes. I know I'm surprised too. I didn't even know cobblers still existed. But here I was 20 minutes into this video and I witnessed these unsung heroes restore what was once damaged, work a resurrection miracle on some busted up Birkenstocks. I was mesmerized. I was beholden. And I just want to paint the picture for you because these guys, I mean, they are not just fixing shoes. They are preserving memories through this work. And when these shoes came in, I mean, it's like they, they were nasty. They were, they were used up, broke, busted, and disgusted. But by the time that they were done, I mean, you had a, a beautiful piece of wearable leather that would make your mama proud. It was amazing to me. And I don't know if you've ever seen something like this, but in this process, it's like a two-week operation, but they had condensed it down to about 20 minutes. The sad part of the story, though, is that I still watch it on two times speed. Any of my people out there, like, regular speed is not fast enough for you. You've got to watch at least one and a half speed, but if you really, two times speed is where it's at. Sometimes I... Uh, I won't even watch the whole, I'll just skip to the last two minutes. I just want to know how it ends. I don't know what this says about how social media has changed my brain, that I'm always seeking a dopamine. I just got to get on to the next thing. But I just, just give me the headline. Was it good? Was it not? You know, did it work out? Show me the before and after. I just want to see the results. Anybody else like that? You want to skip past the process. And get right to the results. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is given us a synopsis of the salvation experience. And the, the way he writes about it, he, he makes it sound so simple and also so sudden. Did you notice this in verse 10? Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's like he glosses right over the growth process, goes straight from get rid, passes grow up to glow up. I mean, it's like you were and now you are. You were this, now you have this. And verse 2, though, pointed something out to me. He brings up this analogy of a baby. And it's helpful because it reminds me that the way God works in my life, it's not going to be something I can shortcut. Like, I'm not going to be able to rush past God's development process the same way I try and skip to the end of these videos. I wish I could. I mean, I really do. I, I wish all the things I want to see God do in my life happen so much faster. In fact, a little bit about me, that is the number one frustration in my life. It's never a question of if God will do it, it's just when will God do it. God, I know you're able I, I know you can. I know you will. But when? <laughs> could, you, could you hurry it up? I mean, we named this Velocity Church for a reason. We want to get there. We're like, let, let's move along. But here's what we need to remember. You cannot rush God's growth process. Development takes time. And I'm sharing that to encourage everybody who has felt discouraged by your pace 
everybody who looks at where you're at compared to where you think you should be or compared to where someone else is, everybody who is judging their real life experience based off somebody else's edit, it takes time. And I also wanna pinpoint that pain and highlight that hurt because what I've noticed is that whenever what we want takes longer than we want, we often feel useless. Have you felt that way? You know what I'm talking about? We start believing lies like, man, what is wrong with me? Why is this so much easier for everybody else? Where am I missing it? Why, why am I getting tripped up on this? Everybody else seems like they have their act together. I'm stuck here. Everybody's moving forward. Why is this so hard for me? See, I'm convinced that the real pain in our life is not when we're being used. It's when we feel useless. It's when we're questioning our purpose. It's when we feel inadequate, when we feel inefficient, when we feel ineffective. That's why I was drawn to this verse, verse five, where Peter says, you also are like living stones and God is using you to build a spiritual house. We just say this with me, say God is using me. That was pretty good. Let's say it one more time. God is using me. Yes. Well, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God is using me. Man, now you believe it. God is using you. And he wants to use you. And it's very important that you grasp this because so many of us go through life avoid wanting to avoid being used and at the same time frustrated that we feel useless. That's why I like Peter because, you see, Peter, he knew something about what it means to be used by God and also feel useless. I mean, this was the guy that said to Jesus, even if everybody denies you, I'll never deny you. Even if everybody forsakes you, I won't forsake you. Even if everybody leaves you, I won't leave you. And Jesus like, okay, just so you know. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Like, let's get this straight, Peter. Peter know, he, he, he knew what it was like to feel useless. He also knew what it was like to feel used, used by God. Because Peter, you got to know, he wasn't always called Peter. This Peter we're looking at, the Peter who wrote 1 Peter chapter 2, he wasn't always called Peter. He used to be called Simon. Now, you might not know this unless you grew up in church or been around church a little bit. His name started as Simon, and actually the, the place where his name is changed to Peter is the key verse of this series. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at it together. Jesus had been doing Jesus' things, teaching, preaching, healing, working miracles. And he took his disciples with him to break down all that had happened. In verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked disciples, who are the people saying I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah. One, the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you think I am? It's an important question. Well, Simon Peter, he answered, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, well, God has blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah. For my father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. 
Because he said this, he said, you are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. See, up until this point, he was always known as Simon. But the moment everything changed is when he had a personal revelation of who Jesus is. It changed everything. And to signify the power of this moment and to signify the change, Jesus said, hey, you've been known as Simon, a reed that shakes in the wind. Now you're going to be something solid. Now I'm calling you Peter, Petros, a rock, a stone. You're solid. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now you might not make the connection unless you look at a certain translation like we we're doing here or, or maybe even get into the Greek that New Testament was written in Greek. Because when Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to call you Peter. Then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's making a connection. He's using two different words, but two connected words. Because he says, I'm going to call you Peter, Petros, a stone. And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Petros, it's a small rock. It's a stone. It's a piece and a part of the bigger rock. Petra, Petra is like this mountain. Petra is a rock that you can stand on. Petra is something solid. You can build on this. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, he's saying, I'm going to call you Petros. You're a piece and a part of this greater work that I'm doing. He said, Peter, what you need to know, you're a you're a piece of work, Peter. I need you to grab this. You, you, you are a piece and you have a part. And that, that would be something that we need to get as the church, that, that you are a significant piece of this church here. And you have a significant part to play. God wants to use you. But it really begins with how you answer that same question Peter answered, who is Jesus to you? Not who do others say that he is. Not what are the facts that you can regurgitate about him. Not what's the churchy answer that, you know, you've heard and you can make it sound right. Not, not any of those things. You've got to answer this question. Who is he to you? Is he your Lord? Because if he's your Lord, that's when God says, okay, now I can use you. If... If he's your Lord, that's when you realize you are part of what God is building. That's when you're being used to build this spiritual house. But if you have not solidified this truth yet, then when it comes to being used, it's going to feel like a burden instead of a blessing. If you haven't settled the answer to this question, who is Jesus to you? If you haven't established that, if you haven't submitted your heart and surrendered your will, then when it comes to being used, it's going to feel a lot more like guilt and less like grace. If you have not established the conclusion to this question, that your life is not just supposed to be a part, that Jesus is not just supposed to be a part of your life, I've got my weekend and my Sunday worship, but that he is the essence of your life. Then when it comes to being used, it's going to feel more like pressure than a privilege. 
going back to what Peter wrote, that's what he's talking about. He said in, in verse 7, look at this with me. Now to you who believe, you've got this, you know who Jesus is. This stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, well, this is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. See, being used can be an opportunity or, an, or it can be an offense. It all depends on the condition of your heart. So in the brief time I have remaining, I want to quickly give you three things to set your heart to be used by God in the way that he wants. So he can do what he wants in you. So he can do what he wants through you. So he can do what he wants for you. And I want to frame this up specifically because I like it when we make the Bible practical. I want to talk about this specifically in relation to our offering that's coming up in a couple weeks. Every year we have a tradition where we engage in our faith and we put it into practice through giving our finances. And that's going to happen in a couple weeks and it kicks off a season of generosity for us. But I want to use this context for what it means to be used. And the first thing I want you to write down is I will prepare for it. I will prepare for it. And I put this in first person because they say that we follow very little of what others tell us, but we trust everything we tell ourselves. So I'm hoping that if you begin to preach this sermon to yourself, you'll begin to walk it out a little bit. So I just want you to say this with me. Say, I will prepare for it. I will prepare for it. That's great. It's just like Peter said at the beginning. There's some stuff you got to get rid in order to get ready. There's some stuff we got to get out for our heart to be ready for what God wants to do. But why do you keep going back to places that aren't good for you? I'm not talking about a person or a place. I mean, in your mind, why do you keep replaying scenarios that aren't helpful? Why do you keep dwelling on that offense and replaying that conversation, being held hostage of how someone hurts you? You need to rid yourself of that. Very practically, I'm saying you need to begin to prepare the soil of your heart for something good to grow. That's the groundwork. I will prepare for it. But it's not just the groundwork. We need to do the grunt work. The, the, the work that we would rather not do. We, we need to do the stuff that sometimes we overlook. The things that we sometimes think are not that important. Just very practically. You know, maybe what you need to do is take this envelope home. This is our year-end offering envelope. Put it on your fridge. Remind yourself, write down the date when we're going to do this. You need to prepare for it. If you're married, you need to have a conversation with your spouse. What, what does this mean to us? What are our values? What are we trying to build with our life? What does the way we live our life and, and how we order our finance, what does it say about where our heart is? You need to have those conversations. Might even fast. Why, why would I fast to give an offer? Because I, I want you to, to prepare your heart for what God wants to do. You need to look ahead, not just all the stuff you want to see happen before the end of the year. I mean, you need to look ahead into next year. What are you believing God for? That's the question I always like to ask our church as we approach this. That's something that we write down right in this envelope. It says, what are you believing God for? Can I tell you, 
it is so important to me that you begin to engage your faith in this process. In fact, it's more important to me that you would start with a faith investment before you ever consider your financial investment. Here's a practical way to think about it. A couple weeks ago, I said, you got to mark down your miracles. I just wonder, have you done that? Did you listen to that message and then just, that was a good message? Or did you put that into practice of, I need to make a list of the things that God has been faithful for in my life. He has answered this prayer. I have seen his hand at work. He has moved in my life. This has come to pass. I, I, I challenged our last service, see if you can get a list of 31. I think everybody in here can do that. What's significant about 30? Just one for every day of the month that God has answered for. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be a small thing, but you can sincerely say, God, you've been faithful in my life in this area. And if you can't, that's why you need to do this. God is working. We've seen prayers answered. And it's not like a give to God and get a miracle. What I'm saying is I've seen people stand in their faith and watch God's word come to pass. I'm wanting you to see God's faithfulness in your life. I started a new list. I've got my list of God's faithfulness. I started a new list, though, this week. Not God's faithfulness, but my frustrations. And it's funny because when I started making this list of my frustrations, I thought it was going to be so big because it feels so big in my mind. But you know what it was? It was really like five or six things. Five or six things that I was frustrated with. Why? Because this is the next one. I, I don't just want you to, to prepare for it. I want you to pray about it. I will prepare for it, but I, I will also pray about it. Will you say that with me? Say, I will pray about it. See, that, that list of frustrations, those are the things I'm wanting to see God fix. It's my God fix this list. God, I need you to show up in this way, list. God, I need you to come to pass and demonstrate your faithfulness once again list. It's, it's not just approaching this offering from a place of planning. I want you to approach it from a place of prayer. Because it's not as much a budget question as it is a belief question. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying do something that you can't do or do something foolish. I'm just saying, have you engaged your faith in the process? Are you trusting God? Are you letting your heart go to the places of God? What could you do? God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want to see happen? What do you want to do in my life? Let your heart be moved in the directions of the things that God wants to do for your family, for your kids' lives, for your marriage, for your future. Honestly, I think for some of us, the money is easy. I think the faith part is hard. I'll tell you why. Because it's easy to write a check. It's hard to submit your will. It's hard to surrender control. Just in an effort of transparency, for my wife and I, this has been a surprising year and it's been, been a hard year been a hard year in different ways. And I'm not saying this for sympathy. I'm, I'm trying to just be candid with you. Different to the point that I actually reached out to a group of guys in our church. I said, hey, I, I need you guys to pray and intercede for me because this has been the hardest year of leadership I've had in the history of leading our church. And it's, it's kind of funny because 
you would think things naturally get easier as you go along. And in some ways they do. As you go along, you get more experience. Sometimes you get more resource. Sometimes, you know, you get more wisdom. There's things that are easier. But because the church is always moving forward, there's always new obstacles. There's always new challenges. And, you know, we're, we're taking ground. So I asked these guys, I said, hey, will you come and pray for me in these areas and pray for my family? And I'm okay with it. Like, I'm, I'm not up here whining. What I'm trying to help you see is Marissa and I are going to have a really good story from this year. Why? Because we've made some big sacrifices. I'll share those with you in the future someday. But we've made big sacrifice. And sacrifice is easy when you're surrendered. When you're surrendered. That doesn't mean I always do this perfectly. I don't want to give you the wrong idea. There are plenty of times I still deal with that feeling of, God, I feel useless. Why? Because I think there's things that should have happened a lot faster than they've happened. There's some things I expected to happen that haven't happened by now. But sacrifice reminds me that I've been used. That, that, that's what this offering means to me. It's a reminder that God is using me. I feel used by this, utilized. I'm doing what God wants. That's why I want to give this last one. I will prepare for it. I'll pray about it. Here's the last one. I will prioritize it. I'll prioritize it. Will you say that? I will prioritize it. This, this matters to me. This matters. There's no pressure. Don't do anything with pressure. But this is precious. That, that's, that's what Peter wants you to see. It says, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, well, it's a stone that causes them to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. It can be an opportunity when you're used or it can feel like an obstacle. I want you to see the opportunity. What's the opportunity? Well, Peter said, it's the opportunity to sacrifice. God is using you to build a spiritual house, serve in this house, and offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. It says spiritual sacrifices. You know, this offering is a spiritual sacrifice. The sacrifices they would have been familiar with would have been the shedding of blood, bulls and goats, but a spiritual sacrifice is when we can say, God, you're first. Everything I have is yours. I live my life for you. I live to worship you. I'm here to honor you. It's a sacrifice. And I know not all of us are in the place to make a sacrificial gift. I get that. That's why I would ask for everybody here, if you haven't taken this step yet, I would ask you to begin to place your trust in Jesus by offering him your first and best through the tithe. Tithing is a Bible word. It literally means 10%. But the way I think about it is, God, I give you my first. I give you my best. That's, that's what it means. Tithe isn't just generous giving to lots of charities. The, the, the tithe is something that belongs to the Lord. It's, it's holy to God. And maybe for you, rather than making a sacrificial gift this year, maybe it's taking the step of, I will prioritize it. I'm gonna offer God my first and best. I'm gonna trust him with the tithe. 
Because the truth is, every time I tithe, I feel used. Every, every time I tithe, I feel, God, you are using me to make a difference. You are using me to build a spiritual house where lives are being changed, where people far from God are coming near to life in Christ, where relationships are being restored, where marriages are, are being healed, where people are being baptized, people are stepping across the line of, of faith, where a city is seeing the love of Jesus in a tangible way, where people are being served, where kids are being trained up in the truth of God's word, where you are being glorified, where prayers are being offered up. Every time I tithe, I feel used to build a house that God wants, to, to build a house that's making a difference, to build something that is gonna outlast me and outlive me and something that matters in eternity. There is nothing else like knowing that God is using you to make a difference. And with all sincerity, that's, that's my prayer for everybody here, that you could say that from a, a place of, I feel used. It's a privilege, it's an opportunity. I'm graced for this, it's a blessing. Thank you, God, for using me because I am a piece and I have a part in it.